Today's service is a little different. And that we have both a speaker and a teacher with us. Our speaker is Debbie Stilley, who has been a member of All Souls for 18 years and is our office administrator, which she has been for a little over a year. Uh, Debbie was a full-time violist for the Shreveport Symphony for 15 years and is a trained artist and sculptor, as you can see from our altar table. Uh, and takes it as a personal challenge to fix things that are broken. Her favorite hobby is dog training, and it is in her capacity as a trainer that she comes to us today. Obedience. It's a strange concept to most of us. Although the most common dictionary definition is merely the act or practice of obeying, our minds conjure up images of submission, meekness, and mindlessness. At best, we think of corporate drones following company policies without thought to the consequences. At worst, it's Nazi Germany with soldiers so blindly obedient that we were merely following orders seemed like an acceptable defense. We also think of compulsion. Obedience seems like something to be demanded, not freely given. Achieving obedience then becomes a battle, the triumph of the superior will. What value could any self-respecting Unitarian Universalist find in such a concept? But all the world's major religions and spiritual practices teach obedience, be it to a concept, an ideal, an institution, or a deity. So even though many of us have an almost visceral negative reaction to the word, it must express something of value. The idea for this service came from a story written by M.R. Bawa Muhayadeen, a 20th century Sufi mystic from Sri Lanka. Susan Caldwell found this story online, and it is entitled, The Dogs That Bark Within. After reading it, Susan immediately thought of me. If my husband would please bring up the real teacher now, I'll introduce her. Come on, baby. Good girl. Come on, right here. Good girl. Sit. Excellent. This is Keegan. Keegan is uniquely qualified to instruct you on this subject. Besides, of course, being a dog, as you saw earlier, Keegan is also trained in obedience. She was the number one novice obedience dog of all breeds in the country for 2006. And unless there's an upstart out there that we don't know about, she is also the number one obedience chow and number one rally chow of all levels for 2007. What a good girl. Keegan, stand, drop, sit. Good job. Yes. Here. Look what I've got. Good job. 
But Keegan achieved the most, her most important accomplishment outside the obedience ring. Keegan has taught me how to train not only a dog, but myself as well. Let's go back down. Come on. There you go. Good girl. <laughs> My husband, John Sigel, the dog wrangler. Here's how our story starts. This is, is this making too much noise? It is. Okay. I moved it back. Maybe that'll help. Here's how our story starts. My love you, my grandchildren, my daughters and sons, my brothers and sisters. Come, night has fallen and it is growing dark. Shall we walk this way? Listen to all that barking. Many of the people living along this road have guard dogs. A dog barking in one house starts the dog barking in the next house, and then the next, and the next. One after another, they bark at anyone who walks along the road, whether he is a good person or bad, a human being or a demon. They bark at every creature that passes by. People keep these houses, these dogs in their houses to guard them, but what do they really do? They make noise day and night. There is never a time when they are silent. Whether they are tiny or huge, Mere puppies or old dogs, their barking never lets anyone rest. My grandchildren, it is no great wonder that dogs bark, for every creation makes some kind of noise. And it is no great wonder that people keep these dogs in their houses. The great wonder is that man also raises dogs within himself. Just as people raise their guard dogs carefully, man lovingly raises the barking dogs within his mind. He kisses them and gives them everything they want. As long as he feeds these dogs, they will surround him, distract him, and never let him finish his work. They won't let him sleep or have any peace. Virtually all people raise these dogs within themselves. Very few are without them. My grandchildren, the dog you raise inside this cage of your body is the dog of desire. Its duty is to bark and growl. If you give it something and then try to take it away later, it will bite you. If you fail to satisfy its every desire, it will bite you. This dog will never give you peace. The only work it will do is bark and eat. Well... We've all known other people, it's always other people, right? With dogs who beg and bark every time their owners eat, who jump all over every visitor, who get up in the chairs or on the bed, and then when their owners try to move them, they growl. Why do they do this? Part of the answer is in the story. The dogs have been given everything they want. But while the author may have been a great mystic, he clearly wasn't a dog trainer because the story leaves out the most critical part of the answer. The dogs have been given everything they want without being expected to do anything in return. Now, during our demonstrations earlier, you saw me giving Keegan little treats. Here's the audience participation part. Did you notice anything else about those exchanges? 
Okay, here's a hint. Excellent. Good job. <laughs> oh, God. The trainer in me just came out. <laughs> um, yes, before every treat, Keegan has to perform a behavior. Now, it may be something very simple like a sit, or it may be something extremely complex like an entire eight-minute obedience routine. But I always ask her to do something. And if she chooses to comply, she gets the treat. If she chooses not to comply, no treat. Why do I ask this of her? In training circles, it's called no free lunch. She must do something I want before I do something she wants. Voila, obedience. Our story continues. This dog of desire begs and begs, demanding food from the man who raises it within himself. All his time is spent searching for bones, flesh, chicken, and fish. That is the only work the dog will allow him to do. It barks and barks, insisting upon having everything it desires. Well, again, clearly the author is not a trainer. True, the average dog or dog within does beg and beg. But why? It's because begging works. Simple as that. (laughs) Our dogs and the primitive parts of our brains that act like dogs want what they want when they want it, and they'll do what it takes to get it. If begging works, they'll beg. But what if begging doesn't work? An obedience-trained dog has learned the Zen concept that sometimes the best way to get what you want is to not actively seek it. Let's say I have a pocket full of treats and my dog keeps pawing at me to try to get some of them. What's the worst thing I can possibly do? Give her a treat when she is pawing. Now, for some dogs, simply ignoring them until they stop is enough. Other dogs are pushier. What do you do then? Now, Keegan loves her treats, and I have a pocket full of them right now, and their liver, too. But she almost never pesters me for them because she's learned that strategy won't work. However, pawing can be a cute behavior under the right circumstances. Come on, babe. Time to work again. Here we go. Good girl. Come here. Sit. Excellent. What do we have? High five. Good girl. High five. Good girl. High five. Excellent. High five. Good job. Good girl. Okay. So with a pushier dog, training can change the act of pawing from an annoying way to demand a treat to a fun way to earn a treat. And that is a big, big difference. Here you go. Come on. Good girl. My grandchildren, you should never raise this dog within yourself. Such a dog is suspicious of everything and watches everyone who passes by. 
It is so suspicious that even while sleeping, it will suddenly wake up and bark. It cannot even live in unity, peace, or harmony with another dog. Because of its selfishness, it will fight and bite without caring whether its ears, nose, or eyes get injured. Oh, how that dog within will fight and bite. And how it will injure us without caring if it gets injured in the process. Now, even though Keegan is one of the sweetest dogs any of you will ever meet, Chows do have a bit of a reputation, as most of you probably know. At every obedience trial we attend, I hear the same story from a different person. You know the one. When I was a kid, there was this chow down the block, and it bit me, my cousin, my sister, my dad, whoever, That dog was mean and untrainable. But how trainable are we? Obedience trainers have a saying. Before you train your dog, you must first train yourself. A couple trainers out there giving me an amen. (laughs) Yet we continue to engage in behaviors that are clearly not in our best interest. Why? because we have not yet trained ourselves to let go of those ingrained habits. The cartoon on the cover of your order of service shows Professor Schwartzman using his canine decoder to hear what the barking dogs are actually saying. Let's all pretend for a moment that each of us is personally wearing a canine decoder set to translate the barking dogs in our minds. Listen closely. What are those dogs saying? For me, it's usually eat, 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 eat. For you, it might be shop, 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 or argue, argue, or complain, drink, smoke, gamble. But it's always one short word repeated over and over, louder and louder, trying to get us to give in. And unless we learn to train those dogs, we usually do give in. Okay, so far so good, but what do we do about it? How do we train those dogs within? I mentioned the first concept earlier. No free lunch. The primitive brain must do something we want before we do something it wants. Remember your parents and teachers telling you to count to ten before responding if you were angry? What was that all about, anyway? More work, babe. Come on. Good girl. Over here. Keegan, sit. Good job. Wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Keegan, come. Good girl. Excellent job. There you go. Okay. At its most basic level, counting to ten is making your primitive brain sit before it gets a treat. Come on, dear. And in those ten seconds... Training occurs. Options open up. Reason has a chance to be heard. As an example, 
A number of diet books recommend a 30-minute waiting period before giving in to a craving. Same idea. You're requiring the primitive brain to perform a behavior, waiting 30 minutes, before getting the treat. The hope, of course, is that within 30 minutes, the craving will have either subsided or given way to a better option. Many times that works. But those books always say the same thing. If you still crave whatever it is after those 30 minutes, eat just enough of it to satisfy the craving and savor every bite. You can bet you'll eat less than if you had just scarfed down whatever you could find the moment the craving hit. The waiting behavior was rewarded, but your better interest was also served. Do anger and punishment have a place in this kind of training? No. There's no place for guilt either. This kind of training is all about recognizing the behavior you want and rewarding it. Every other behavior is just something that doesn't work, period. It doesn't get rewarded, and dogs, like people, eventually stop trying things that don't get rewarded. Let's say you're waiting for an elevator. You've punched the button over and over, and the elevator still hasn't come. At some point, you'll give up and take the stairs. If the dog is waiting for her dinner, has barked over and over, and the dinner still hasn't come, at some point, she'll stop barking and do something else. Guess what? That's when you give her her food. And, of course, the cynic in me has to point out that when you finally do give up and take the stairs, that's when the elevator will come. (laughs) Another concept used extensively in obedience training is proofing. Proofing is training the same behavior in different locations with varying levels of distraction. That's one reason I'm so happy Keegan's here working in this unusual location today. Dogs do not generalize well, so they don't understand that sitting in their living room is the same as sitting in your living room, or at the store, or outside in the yard, or in a crowded exhibition center. They need to be trained to do each behavior in all those different locations, because different locations raise both the stress level and the distraction level. The typical obedience trainer uses the 80-20 rule to decide whether the dog is ready to move up to the next level of distraction. If you're 80% sure the dog will perform correctly at this level, you can move up a level. If you're not, you need to stay where you are. Again, the same goes for our primitive barking dog brains. Let's say I really love chocolate but for some reason need to completely stop eating it. If I don't buy chocolate, I don't have it at my house, so it's easy to avoid eating it there. That's equivalent to a dog learning to sit in her own living room. If I'm at the store, it's a little more difficult because there is chocolate there, but it's in packages and I can't see it or smell it. That's equivalent to sitting in your living room. Let's say I've worked up to a level where I can attend a cocktail party where the hosts have put out several desserts, including chocolate. That dog is now working in a crowded exhibition center. (laughs) 
And if I can, after weeks, months, or even years of diligent effort, tour Ghirardelli in San Francisco, knowing full well they have a tasting room at the end of the tour, I'm working at the level of a police dog, a search and rescue dog, or a guide dog. Most of us never get to that level, and most dogs never do either. Those are the gurus who show us the path. What matters most is awareness, both of our inner barking dog's needs and of our response to them. When we hear, eat, 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 or whatever, we need to stop right then and require a behavior before we give anything in return. We need to use proofing as a way to train our brains to be reliable and consistent in all kinds of different situations. We need to be at least 80% sure we can handle one step before we take the next harder step. We need to take the steps in order, not jump around or skip ahead. And when, not if, we fail, we need to forego the guilt and punishment and just take a deep breath, back up to a step we're confident we can perform correctly, and start moving forward again. My precious grandchildren, do not entrust the house of your heart to this dog of desire. Anyone who entrusts his house to this dog will never attain serenity. If you refuse to hand the kingdom of your soul over to desire, that kingdom will be strong in peace. Then you will be able to complete all your lessons in the school of this world. You will understand justice, fairness, and love. You will come to understand yourself, your creator, and the freedom of your soul. Come on, baby. One last time. That's a good girl. Right here. Good job. Yes. Thanks so much to all of you for letting Keegan and me come share a little philosophy with you today. We both really enjoyed it, and we hope you did too. Good girl.